Morning, everyone. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. Very excited to be uh, worshiping with you today and diving into God's Word. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, having virtual services really for the last 11 weeks, if you can believe. And uh, this is our last Sunday of having a virtual service. We are so excited to be worshiping uh, back together face-to-face here in the building uh, next Sunday. Uh, that's going to be one service at 1045. We look forward to seeing you and worshiping with you. Uh, we're still going to be streaming services for those that uh, still, you know, kind of want to, to do that. But for those that are, are ready to come in and worship with us, you know, we're going to have the doors open starting next Sunday. I do hope that over the last 11 weeks that even though we've, we've been worshiping in spirit, I believe that, you know, God continues to speak to us. And it's my prayer that you have gotten closer to him in this time. And truthfully, that's my prayer always, that we surrender to him, that we let him speak to us, that we let him confront us with truth and always draw us closer to him. Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about how God reveals those truths in his word, the truths of his nature, the truths of his strength and his power, and that we have to surrender to him instead of leaning on our own understanding. We talked about the fact that God's word carries the power of his spirit and the glory of his presence. And when we think about that, it's the purpose of his word that when he breathes over us, when he breathes his word into existence, when he breathes his word over us, that it tears the flesh away from us, that it leads us into a place of surrender and life through his spirit, that we no longer walk in the death that comes from the flesh. We know that God breathed all scripture into existence and without his word, we will suffocate. We talked about how it's God's breath, it's his word that fuels our spiritual life. We also talked about the fact that God's word facilitates our growth and our transformation. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, the word brings us to that point of intimacy with God and it facilitates the transformation into his nature, bringing us from that place of death into a place of life that only comes from God. And then lastly, we were in Ezekiel 37, and we talked about how the Spirit revives us when we order our lives according to God's Word. What we saw in that chapter was when God spoke to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel prophesied uh, to those dry bones. He told them, hear the Word of the Lord. And it wasn't until the bones ordered themselves according to the Word that the breath, that the Spirit of God came in and brought life. And the same is true for us. That once we order our lives according to God's word, then we will have life in us. Today we're going to be uh, diving into a little bit of what that life is. I told you at the beginning of this series that we would be talking about the core verse at the end of the series, and that is today. I'm excited that uh, this is, to me, this has been a wonderful uh, series that we've gone through, and I hope that God has spoken to you through it. We will be kicking off a new series next Sunday. I'll share some details with that at the conclusion of today. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about how the fact is that God has made us Alive, But before we dive into our core verse and this but God, let's pray. Let's pray and surrender our hearts to the Lord, our, our spirits to him. Let us just, you know, get rid of that flesh and let us recognize that God is calling us to follow him, to live in him, to abandon the darkness and walk in his light. Father, we, we come to you today and I just, I thank you 
for your spirit. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you died for us, God, and that when we participate in that resurrection, or excuse me, when we participate, God, in your crucifixion, in, in the death that Jesus died, God, that we will participate in the resurrection as well. Father, I pray that as we are here and we are preparing to come into your word, that you are preparing our hearts. Work in us right now. Help us to hear your spirit. Let us hear your truth. Confront us, God, with the things in our life that we need to change. Show us where we are outside of your will. Show us where we are outside of, you know, where, where you would have us to be, Lord. And let us know the actions we need to take to change. And give us the power and uh, in, in, in just the humility to obey and surrender to you in that. We thank you for this, God, and the work that you're going to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's dive into our core verse and for the series, but certainly for today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse, verses 1 through 7. And I'm excited to just share those with you. It says this, And you were dead in the, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, uh, and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The truth that we see here is that we were once dead in our sin. We were once dead in trespass. We were dead because we were following after the world. We were doing what other people did. We were saying what other people said. We were listening to what other people listened to. We were watching what other people watched. We were living like other people lived. We were trying to fit in. And because of that, we were surrendering ourselves to the world. We were, in essence, making ourselves disciples of the world instead of disciples of Christ. And what happens there is we are surrendering ourselves instead of to God, to the, it says to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And what he's telling us is that when we live like the world, it makes us the devil's disciples. It's such a place that we cannot, we cannot go, right? We, we cannot continue to surrender to the passions of our flesh, living only to gratify ourselves instead of going out and trying to glorify God. We've subjected ourselves to our own will. We've subjected ourselves to our own desires in our flesh instead of surrendering to God's spirit. Now, the, the concern that I have is, you know, I think it's easy to read, you know, this, um, this passage and think about it as a progression. We think and say, well, you know, the, the first part's not as bad as the last part, thinking that, you know, living like the world or trying to fit in or, you know, wanting to be like them so they accept us and maybe even trying to say that we do that so that we have a relationship with us and we can preach the gospel. Well, we're just fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. What, what Paul is telling us is that when we try to live like the world, we are making ourselves the devil's disciples. When we are surrendering and trying to be like them, we are one of them. We've surrendered ourselves to the world, to our flesh, to the passions that only our, our flesh has. And because of that, we're children of wrath, that we have basically aligned ourselves with 
the devil. It's it, living like the world does aligns us to him. It makes us the devil's disciples instead of God's. And the challenging part for us, the frightening part as well, is that this is part of our very nature. This is why we struggle. I mean, I'm sure that you can identify with this. I mean, Paul even said that, you know, the things that he knows he shouldn't do, he does. The things that he knows to do, he struggles to do. We've all been in that place, that sin nature that's inside of us. There's a battle that goes on every day. But the, the, the truth that we all need to realize is that it's because of God's grace that that battle has already been won. We cannot go on continuing to surrender to the world. We cannot go on surrendering to the devil or to our flesh or to any of that because all of that is one and the same. You see, when I surrender to my flesh, when I try to live like the world, what Paul is telling us, that's no different than just aligning myself directly with the devil. But It's because of what Christ did. And this is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Because this is not the end of the story. He says that we were once dead in our sin and trespass, but God, but God came in. He he gave such great rich uh, mercy and love and grace and forgiveness to us. And what I love about this too is it, it's not just pointing out the past, right? The, the past is that place of surrendering to the world. The past is that place of aligning ourselves with uh, just the flesh and, and the death that comes along with that. Paul's not just pointing that out to kind of contrast our past to just the future, but he says that God has made us alive. He doesn't say that God will make us alive. He says that God has made us alive. He's talking about the fact that we are alive today. Before, we were dead. We might have been physically alive, but in the spirit, we were dead. Paul says that because of God's grace, because of his love, because of what Jesus did for us, we are made alive together with Jesus. And this is not just a a picture of physical life. It's we are brought from that place of spiritual death into a place of spiritual death. Life. We are made alive together with Christ, and apart from him, we cannot live. I think that's an important element for us to realize. I am made alive with Christ. It's because of what he did. If now in that place of life, I try to live by myself without Jesus, I will not have his life in me. That's something that we have to understand and grasp today. It's by God's grace that we have been saved and raised up with Christ. We have been brought from a place a place of death into a place of life. And we do have eternal hope. One day, our mortal, our, our mortal bodies will die. We will go down into the grave. But because of what Jesus did, because he resurrected from the tomb, because he walked out of that grave, we have the hope of one day physically living again with God. Our spirits will live forever. Our bodies will also raise again. It's because of his, his death. If we participate in that with him, then his resurrection is ours as well. We see this in Romans chapter 6. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So some very key points. We've talked about this passage many times, but it it, it truthfully is one of the best passages that helps us understand this connection between participating in Christ's death 
and his resurrection. It tells us that our old self was crucified. That's the sin-sick self, the one that we've been surrendering to that we saw in Ephesians. And it says that in that place we were in debt, that it was dead in sin and trespass. It was nailed to the cross and only Christ came back to life. Paul says that's the definitive end to that sin-sick self. In that place, because that old self was crucified with Christ, sin has lost its power. It has been defeated. That, that victory was secured 2,000 years ago on the grave. And, and the issue is, is that when we give ourselves to the world, we have to acknowledge now that we're giving ourselves to something that is dead instead of something that is alive. We are surrendering to something that has no power, that has no authority. I've said it before. I will say it again, because Jesus defeated the power of sin on the cross, because he died for us, because our old self was crucified with Christ, the only power that sin has in your life is what you choose to give it. And when you surrender yourself to the flesh, when you align yourself with the world, when you surrender and try to live like the world, what you are doing is you are taking the authority and the power that Christ is supposed to have in your life, and you are giving it willfully to the devil. And when we align with him, when we give him that power, we're taking it from him, and, he's al- and we're taking it from Christ, giving it to, to, to the devil whom, who was already defeated. And when we align ourselves with Satan, we align ourselves to his fate of eternal destruction and punishment. This is something that we cannot ignore. We must acknowledge today that when we align ourselves with him, his fate becomes ours as well. This is why we must participate in Christ's death, so that we can participate in his resurrection, so that we can receive the life that only comes from him, so that we can walk alive, empowered, and just overshadowed by the love and grace that God provides. Now, this has a promise that comes with it. It says, if we have died with Christ, then we are alive with him. This is a big if two letters, but it's a big condition. We must acknowledge that we have to live w- with Christ. We have to die with him so that we can live by him. And it's, it's, this is brought about by the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We see this in Romans chapter 8. It says, but if it is Christ in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your, to your mortal bodies though through his spirit who dwells in you. So again, we see the same condition from Romans chapter 6, that that big word, if, it's right there. If Christ is in us, that means that if we have died with Christ, if we have participated in that crucifixion, if we have acknowledged that our old self has been crucified with Christ, it's still dead, it's on the cross, but Christ is alive, we will be able to recognize and walk in the life that comes through Christ's sacrificial love. If he is our Savior, we will receive the gift of, of that life that he provides and walk and live eternally. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us back to life, will bring us a life today and then give us the hope for eternal life 
in forever and ever. This is the power of the but God that we're studying today, the transformation that comes by dying with Christ and then coming to life through him. Our bodies, again, we talked earlier that they were uh, physically alive, but our spirits were dead because we were dead in sin and trespass. Well, the hope that we have is we are made alive in Christ and ultimately one day we'll be brought back to life eternally with with him. Our bodies are going to be made new, but we will have a physical body in heaven with God forever and ever. This to me is is such an amazing transformation. We have been transformed from children of wrath to co-heirs with Christ. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that because we've surrendered to the world, because we've aligned ourselves with the devil, we we were only ever going to inherit punishment. We were only ever going to be uh, destined for a place of, of eternal destruction in, that, that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians. But because of what Jesus did, when we take that sacrifice into ourselves, when we believe that he died on the cross, when we believe that he rose again, when we ask him to forgive us, we are transformed from children of wrath to co-heirs with Christ in a place that we will inherit heaven with Jesus forever and ever and ever. That to me, that you can tell I'm excited about that. I hope that you're excited about that as well. It gives us life and hope to know that we can walk with God in that. But listen, we cannot claim to have Christ live life in us if we are not living transformed. We cannot expect to be brought from a place of death to life without change in us. We cannot, uh, you know, once we have been made alive in Christ, we cannot continue to be dead in sin. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, For at one time, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is simple yet difficult truth. It's simple because it's very straightforward. It's plain and obvious. It says, walk as children of the light. In the NIV, it says that we must find out what pleases God and do it. It's difficult, though, because of how greatly uh, we struggle with this concept. If indeed uh, we, we are in Christ and, in, and he is in, in us, then he must dwell in us. His spirit must be demonstrated in us. There must be a, a transformation. We must have life demonstrated by the way that we live. He has to be, his nature uh, has to, to be demonstrated here in, in the way that we walk. His character has to be illustrated in the way that we live. Such an important point for us to make, make sure that we realize. But too often, we push back against this revelation. We resist because we want to fit in. We try to fit in with the world, but we, we've forgotten the importance of change. We misinterpret what that means. We are citizens of heaven, but we live like the world that we have come to minister to. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, telling us that you know we've been amb- we are ambassadors of God, representatives of heaven, and he tells us that we must live differently from the people that we have been called to minister to. And listen, we've been called to minister to everyone. We cannot live like the world. We have to live separate from the world. We are in the world, but we must we, we have to minister to them, but we have to live differently from them. Listen to what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. That 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 should be a statement that you just consider right now. Is the love of Christ controlling everything that you do? 
says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the people of the world live for themselves. And honestly, you know, in that place where we were dead in sin and trespass, you know what we were doing? We were living for ourselves. We were living only to gratify our flesh. You might say, John, I wasn't selfish. I wasn't any of that. Yes, yes, that, yes, we were. There's no other way about it. There was a selfish person inside of us, that nature that, that it talked about, it's there. And we were living for ourselves. But it says that Jesus, he came and he died once for all. So that those who now live because of him, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for God, for the, one who, for the sake of the one who died and was raised for us, who brought us back to life. What we have to realize here is that this is telling us that our lifestyle will confirm our conviction. Transformation is the fruit of salvation. It is the result. There is no choice. Later in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that, you know, when we are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. These are not, you know, can come. These are not might come. These are definitive statements. If we are in Christ, then the old has gone. The new is here. We are a new creation because of what God has done for us, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Transformation is the result of the salvation that we receive through Jesus. The, the, the problem with all of this, too often here I believe that you know, people misinterpret this, this requirement of change and what it means. They often will think that they have to change before they're saved. You know, you know I'm gonna, I'll, I'll come to God uh, when I get my life in line. You know, I'll go to church when, you know, when I can get this straightened out. Or, you know, I'll, I'll surrender my life to Jesus when I can overcome this struggle. You've heard this. You might have even said it. You might have even said these very words. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll come back to God or I'll go to the Lord or I'll get saved when, when I can overcome this thing in my life. Well, that's not how it works. You, you go to God so that you can overcome because he's already overcome those things. We surrender to him so that we can be changed by him. But what, what the issue that we see here is, is, is it says in Galatians chapter 2 is that if righteousness could be attained by the law, if change could be attained by our own effort, then Christ died for nothing. But we know, tr- listen to me, I know that I know that I know that Christ's death has a purpose. And that purpose was because I could not earn it on my own. I could not change without his power. I could not be brought from a place of death to life when I'm in that place of death. If I'm dead, I can't make myself alive. I'm dependent on him. I'm dependent on his spirit. And so are you. And what happens is, is that when people realize this, when they realize that change is not a requirement for salvation, that they realize that they can, you know, receive that grace freely, they then forget that the purpose of salvation was to bring about that change. Often uh, they, they realize that, you know, we're, we're forgetting the fact that change is not a requirement for salvation. It is the result of it. People will say, well, you know, no, you told me before, you know, that I came to God that Jesus loves me just the way that I am. And yes, yes, he does love you just the way that you are. He loves you right where you are. 
But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He, is, he came, he gave of himself, he gave his whole life so that we can experience transformation, so that we can be saved and, and the sin nature that's inside of us would be replaced with his nature. We must realize that we are no longer in the darkness. We must walk as children of the light. We have to, we have to quit denying the, the darkness and we must surrender to God. In 1 John chapter 1, it says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is plain and direct truth that we cannot ignore. If we, uh, if we claim that we are one of God's children, if we claim that we walk in his light yet we continue in darkness, we are lying. God is light in him. There is no darkness. And as a result, if we continue in that darkness, we have no part in that, that should cause you to pause and reflect on your life right now. Where are you choosing to remain in darkness? Where are you choosing to close the doors of your heart and to pre- try and prevent the light of the Lord to get into your heart and into your life? When you are making that willful choice to remain in darkness, even though you are claiming to be in light, We have no part in God. Our claim to live and walk in light is proven to be a lie when we choose to stay in the dark. And the issue with this claim is that it says that the truth is not in us. This is more than just us being exposed as liars. We have to remember uh, who's writing this, and then we also have to evaluate this passage against the rest of Scripture. Jesus, in John chapter 14, the night of his arrest, he tells his disciples something in John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So if we claim to walk in the light, yet continue in darkness, then the truth, or Jesus, is not in us. And then John, he confirms this later on because it says that when, if we can claim that we are without sin, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And what it say in John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. We have to realize that, that John, the one that wrote 1 John, he was there the night that Jesus said that he is truth. And so we have to, we have to evaluate these passages together. And we, are, we have to react and understand and internalize the truth that is there. If we claim to be part of God's family, 
to walk in his light, yet we continue to choose sin. If we refuse to be transformed, then Jesus is not in us and we have no part in him. But, and this is why I love that word, this is why I've been so excited about this series, is that word can just change the direction of what we are talking about. It says, but if you walk in light, he is with you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's some, some additional truth that I think we have to, to, to look into. And honestly, like I've, 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 I've quoted that verse probably a thousand times in my life, but there's something that, you know, it, it just now really hit me. It says that if we confess our sins, God will be faithful and he will be just to forgive us of our sins. I think it's easy to realize that he would be faithful, right? In that place of confession, when we go to him and acknowledge our sin, that he will be faithful to his children, that he will demonstrate his love and his grace and his mercy to us and give that forgiveness that, that aligns with his heart of love to us. But not only is he faithful to forgive, he is just in his forgiveness. He is true to his eternal and, and connected nature. He is faithful and just to forgive. Why is he able to have justice in forgiving us of our sins? Because 2,000 years ago, the price, the punishment for our sins was already paid in Christ. So when I go to God and I confess the sin in my life, he will be faithful to what Jesus did. He will be faithful to my confession. He will be just because punishment has already been doled out and he will demonstrate mercy on me. I have the hope that in that confession, I will be changed and I will be forgiven. But there is, again, that expectation of transformation because it says that when I confess, he is faithful and just to forgive, and then what? He will cleanse us or he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That forgiveness happens in the moment and the cleansing, the purification happens throughout my relationship with him, happens throughout our connection with him. It's a very important point that we have to, to realize. And honestly, we have to understand the, the importance of what this purification means. That word is often used in three different contexts in Scripture, in, in, phys, in a physical sense, talking about purification through fire that removes impurities. In a Levitical sense, Again, like think about purification, right? It's again through a process and then later inspection by the priest to confirm that there is no unholiness, there is no uncleanness there. And then just in an ethical sense that we are uh, free uh, or, or, um, from corrupt desire so that the cleansing is not just in the action but in the motivation of our choices. And so we can see that this purification then happens throughout our life. This is the process of sanctification where our sin nature is over time replaced and remade into his nature. But I think we again need to talk about what it means when we confess our sins because when we confess, we will forg- he will forgive us and he will purify us as we've just talked about. But what does it mean to confess? This is so much more than just an acknowledgement of sin. As a parent, if, if my child came to me and said, if one of my, my kids came to me and said, Dad, I've done something wrong. That you could say that that's a, that's a confession. But really, it's, all, it's only an admission 
unless there is something else, unless there's some kind of contrition, unless I know and can tell that there is a change that's anticipated, how do I know this? Because the word confess in this, in this verse, it comes from the word homolo, homologeo, which literally means to speak the same as. And so what, what John is saying in this verse, he says, when we confess our sin, when we say about our sin the same thing that God says about our sin, when we speak about it the same way, when we think about it the same way, when we look at our sin the same way that God looks at it, that is where forgiveness comes. That is where transformation comes. Because in that place we are in agreement that our sin is outside of God's will, that our sin places us outside of his favor, that our sin places us outside of his grace, that our sin separates us from him. When I come to him and I am in agreement about the condition that my sin puts me in, that is when God is released to forgive. That is when God will bring transformation because inherent in the confession is a repentance, is a desire to go and turn and, and go another way. We must uh, recognize the darkness that is in us because of the sin and walk in the light that God has. We must recognize that importance. And when we do this, we know that we have to die to ourselves and we live to God. And in that, we are following Christ's example. Going back to Romans chapter 6, it says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life, the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, we have been raised to newness of life. We were dead in sin and trespass. But God being rich in mercy, God being rich in love, God being rich in forgiveness, he has made us alive together with Christ. If we are, are, are in that place and in, in agreement of what our sin is and what God feels about our sin, if we react to it the same way that he, he does, he brings that transformation. He makes us alive. But listen, the words say that, God, that Jesus, he died once and for all. So that the life that he now lives, he lives to God. And it tells us then that we have to consider ourselves, if Jesus is in us, we have to consider ourselves dead to sin. Because remember, that old self was crucified. That sin nature was crucified. The power of sin has been defeated. It is dead. So we must be dead to sin and we consider ourselves, therefore, alive to God. What does that mean? It means that everything that we do is done as an offering to our creator. I want you to think about that for a moment, reflect on this past week. If you looked back, is that an offering that you would be willing to give God? Is every single word that you said, every single post that you put on social media, every single action that you did, every single thought that came into your mind, every single thing that you looked at, every single thing that you listened to, every word that you said, everything, everything, everything that you do. If you claim to be his child, everything that you do is a demonstration of your commitment to him. 
we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Offer yourselves completely to him. Everything that you do is an offering of worship to the Lord. Is he going to accept that offering? Would he be pleased at what you offered him last week, last, last, you know, yesterday, this morning? Would he be pleased with that offering? How does this thought change how you act? How must it change how you act? We have to respond to this truth. We cannot go forward from this point the same anymore. I hope and pray that you would choose to abandon that place of darkness, that you would no longer hold on to the things of the world, that you would quit trying to live like the world lives, aligning yourself, making yourself a a, a disciple of the devil, and choose to surrender to God wholeheartedly and become a disciple of Christ. Walk in the life that only he brings. Confess, agree about the condition of your heart that, 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 that your sin has put you in. Repent of that sin. Walk in the forgiveness that he has freely given you, that he has justly given you, and allow him to transform you every single day. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I just invite you, if you have never received that gift of salvation, if you are continuing in that place of of worldliness, if you are still in that place of death and you want to be brought to that place of life today, now is the time. Pray with me. And then as I pray as well for those that might have prayed that prayer before, but you're continuing to try and, you know, to live in both areas, trying to continue to live like the world while, you know, claiming to be in light, stop. Just stop. Confess that sin and let God change your heart right now. Dear Lord, I come to you today and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the grace that you have given us. We have to make a choice today, God. We have to choose if we are going to remain in a place of darkness or if we are going to walk in your light. God, let this choice be so plain and so clear that we recognize that if we stay in darkness, that only leads to destruction and torment forever. But as we choose to walk in the light, that that comes with the life that only you bring. As we pray, Lord, I, I would just ask that you embolden those that need to surrender to you to make that step today, to give their lives to you completely and wholeheartedly. Let transformation occur in this moment. If you want to pray and, and, and take that step out of darkness and into, into the light of the Lord, pray with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been living like the world. I know that I've been living in a place of darkness. In that place of darkness, God, I have not found life. I acknowledge that I'm in a place of death and I ask God that you would forgive me of my sins. I I am in this moment confessing my sin. I agree with you about the condition of my heart, that I'm separate from you, that my sin has pulled me away from you, God, that I was not created to live this way, but I was created to be your child. I confess that sin in a way, Lord, that also, God, I choose and I desire, it's my heart's desire to go in a different way. Be true to your word, Lord, to forgive me of that sin. 
I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made, that the punishment for my sin was put on him, that he died on the cross for me, and that he rose again on the third day. And so I have the hope of being brought to life because of what he has done. God, forgive me of my sins, wash them away, and help me. God, make me alive in Jesus. Bring me from that place of darkness into your light. Bring me from that place of death and into life. Change me today, God, and continue to change me every day. Help me to follow after you with everything that I am. Help me to choose you over the world every day. Every day. In Jesus' name. For those that might have prayed that prayer before but want to rededicate, that recognize that they've been trying to live in both, pray with me now. God, I just ask you to forgive me because I have claimed to be in the light, but I'm continuing to live in the darkness. My lifestyle has has demonstrated the fact that my commitment is empty. My lifestyle has shown that I am a liar, that my lifestyle has demonstrated that I'm choosing darkness over you, I'm choosing death over you. Lord, forgive me now for those choices. Make me alive. Make me alive again. Lord, help me every single day to make the choice for you. Help me every day to die to myself, to participate in that, in that crucifixion, dying to my sin. God, so that I can walk in your light, in your life every single day. Empower me through your spirit, Lord. Walk with me every moment. Speak to me. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to to see your will. Help me to know how you want me to act, Lord. Make it so abundantly clear. And help me to, to make that choice over the world every day. In Jesus' name, amen. It's my prayer that God has spoken to you today and that, that he is stirring something inside of you. And that transformation begins and continues throughout your life. And every single day you would choose to walk in his light instead of the darkness of the world. I mentioned at the beginning of uh, my message that we're going to be starting a new series. We're going to be back uh, here on premises next week, and we're starting a new series called Devoted Disciples or Bandwagon Believers. As we go through it, we're going to be talking about what it means to be devoted to God. And we're going to have to ask difficult questions every single week about whether or not we are doing the things that, that, that devoted disciples do. I encourage you, if you want to get a head start on that series, read Acts chapter 2, especially the end of that, of that chapter, and just ask yourself, am I a devoted disciple or a bandwagon believer? God bless, and we'll see you next week.